and it was such a big shit that it was stuck in the toilet and we tried flushing it and that toilet it wouldn't it wouldn't go down the 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 bowl and it was so long that it was kind of like uh breaching you know the level of uh the toilet seat lid how badly did justin timberlake want to use the n-word in the song sexy back um if you'll take yourself back to 2006 you know try to try to time travel in your mind and just sing the words it almost comes out naturally and maybe that's just me maybe maybe i'm brain broken or whatever but if you are a person who has any familiarity with rap music and you have that sort of natural lyrical rhythm that comes with it sing sexy back i'm bringing sexy back the mother mm, don't know how to act pay attention to the meter there we had long syllable i'm bringing sexy back them other mm-mm. we should have two syllables there now boys you know it has that oi diphthong which is always occupied sort of a weird and ambiguous place syllabically right because if you, you can clip it very short and it sounds like one syllable or you can exaggerate it and it's like two syllables it's it's the sort of thing that would give you trouble in elementary school when you're doing the clapping you're like boys or is it boys you don't know but he doesn't even say it like boys he just says the mother boys don't know how to act i'm bringing sexy back i'm bringing sexy back their mother <laughs> don't know how to act you know he wanted to say i mean i don't know i i don't think he writes his own music right i mean maybe he does i don't know but i just i feel like in his head when he's coming up with the melody or whatever whoever comes up with the melody for him that's the word that belongs there maybe the song was originally written for a a person who has the uh the social ability to say that word I don't know, but yeah, it eludes Justin. I reckon he says it to himself, though. I bet he does. I bet when he's sitting at home, or maybe he gets off from a show, and he's sitting in the backstage or the room or whatever, and uh, he does, he pops out just a, a little end just for himself. But he enjoys it. He probably signs like an NDA with uh, some whatever, whatever whore he's sleeping with that night. And he sings it to her, and she's not allowed to tell anyone that he said it. That's just something I like to think. We love you, Justin. Global United People's Front, Episode 2. We're flying solo today. My guest is... Only myself, two halves of two different people who are trying to reckon with the current situation of sharing one body. The cooperation and the general survival and staying afloat on a sinking ship, all the various conditions, that uh, the problems that my body offers the uh, two folks that are at the wheel. Today we're going to be talking about Yay24, not A24, the faggot brainwashing movie studio, but uh, Yay24, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, someone whom racist whites have been pretending to listen to over the past few years. 
Uh, my gut instinct on this campaign, and I know nothing about his policies, I don't think he said anything about them uh, so far, maybe I, I could be wrong, I'm not really that up to speed, but my gut instinct is, uh, is he is absolutely the man you should vote for. If you're worried about anything, um, his lack of political experience or the his comments about our nice Jewish friends, uh, I wouldn't worry about that because nothing is real anymore. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is he doesn't seem to be nearly as beholden to political machinations that every other candidate will surely be. Um, being an outsider is the same reason that we liked Trump in 2016. Um, it's part of the reason we liked Bernie. I guess you can't really call Bernie an outsider. But I still liked him because he didn't really seem to play ball so much uh, with the Democratic Party. That is, of course, until he bowed out of the election, took that Clinton money, and gave her the endorsement. And then, um, yeah... That was a letdown, but we still like him because he's different. That's why we like Trump. That's why we like EA. It doesn't really matter what their policy is. Um, they want a gridlock between left and right. Uh, two things that are just marginally different and who always end up in sort of a 51-49 split. Uh, the recent midterm election could not have gone better for Democrats. They won. Um, Republicans have the House, but they won, which means now that they don't really have to do anything. They can just sit back and skim as much off the top as possible. And that's the goal. That is by design. I, I, I think it, it is sort of improbable that it's always this sort of 51-49 situation. They do not want a landslide. They don't want that at all. That means they would be in a place where they could achieve things. And they desperately do not want to achieve anything. They want business as usual. Um, even with all of the recent talks about extremism, and usually they're talking about right-wing extremism, and they're calling it fascism or racism or whatever. But uh, there's also, I think, been a, a lot of talks about things more on the left. Um, but in any case, everyone's worried about sort of people are, I think, they're, they're, they're saying there's going to be an erasure of normalcy or centrism and things are just drifting farther in either direction. Um, that's, that's not real. That's, that's an illusion. Um, people want that. The younger generation certainly wants that. I want that. And I don't care what it is, to be very clear. Uh, I don't care whether, I, I think that either a sort of um, ultra-Trumpist system um, that sort of borders on fascism and, you know, maybe he's very uh, authoritarian and all this, or this sort of AOC Bernie Sanders paradise um, of authoritarian socialism. Both of those, I think, are great. I think both of those things would be very nice. Um, equally so. I don't care. I just don't like things as they are. And uh, if you think that's a narrow-minded opinion, you're probably correct. But uh, things suck. I don't like... I don't like this centrist, uh, fence-sitting, uh, sitting on the... sitting on the clothes dryer, 
and rubbing your little pussy against the top of it while it shakes and vibrates. It's not doing anything. We need something flippant, something extreme, something different, something outside, something beyond, something which surpasses and overcomes. And um, I'm interested to see where the yay campaign is going. I'm very excited. Again, I don't know what his policy is. Um, I would assume, I know he's very big on um, the Christian stuff, so I would assume he'd be, you know, pro-life or anti-abortion or whatever you'd rather call it. I would assume that he would try to push for the sort of aesthetic victories, like I think in 2020 he said something about prayer in schools, <clears throat> things of that nature. Um, judging by the people who he has working with him now, uh, Nick Fuentes and Milo, which um, really gives you a bit of deja vu to 2016, doesn't it? Except uh, Ye is doing what Trump did back then, maybe. Uh, Trump seems like he's grown a bit soft in his old age, and I don't, I don't fault him for that. He he seems like he's a lot more willing to play ball. He's a little terrified of DeSantis, I think. He wants the ticket. He wants the Republican bid. But he knows that the leadership of the Republican Party wants DeSantis. Um, which is funny. I would say that nine-tenths of the Republican leadership and the political machine wants DeSantis, but nine-tenths of the Republican voters, uh, they, they want Trump. Um, because they know, even though DeSantis is nibbling Trump's scribble, even though he's trying to emulate Trump and be a little Trump Jr., they know that he is um, a cuck, like all Republicans. Um, r- Republicans are the, the party of, of being a cuck. And I think Trump changed that, or at least challenged that, not permanently, but just at the individual level. And I think he's, he's cucking a little bit right now. But that's what, we, you know, that's what we loved about him, is that he was so different, because Trump was never a Republican. And a lot of us that liked Trump for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, political or just aesthetic, which would, I guess, is the camp I fall into, the latter. The the reason we liked him is because he's not a Republican. Um, I don't know whether it's uh, media propaganda or my own family's opinions or what, but I've always, I just have this general disdain for Republicans, even the word Republican. It sounds like a nasty word when I hear it or when I say it. So I never, never thought I would ever like a Republican candidate. Um, also, I think maybe growing up when I did during the uh, the Bush years really put a sour taste in my mouth. Um, and it's not. I'm not saying that as though I've I've had a transition. I still have just the same opinions I ever did. I don't like Republicans. Um, But the only thing that's changed is my realization that the parties aren't really that different. Um, Democrats or Republicans, they're both evil. Uh, They're both satanic. They're both ran by um, elite pedophile psychic vampires. I think I heard someone say that maybe they just said psychic pedophile vampires or something. 
But I heard someone say that uh, derisively as a, a mocking the sort of QAnon type people. And to be clear, QAnon people should be mocked. They're idiots. It's like fake conspiracy theory is sort of, I think it's in a way it's really controlled, uh, excuse me, controlled opposition uh, conspiracy. But I heard someone say that and uh, with this with this tone of ridicule, making fun of people who, who think things like that and it's, I mean it's 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 true uh, I, I, you know, I'm not a excuse me, I'm not a supernatural person to, to any degree, but, so, you know, obviously these people aren't real vampires, um, they're not enacting psychic warfare in a way that is, you know, in a way that is science fiction or whatever, and they're probably not running around fucking kids at any given moment, <clears throat> but they are pedophiles, they do, uh, at least figuratively, drink the blood uh, of all of us and they are trying to damage the psyches of all of us so yes they, they, they are there are elite <laughs> pedophile psychic vampires <laughs> running about um, pulling the strings and uh, not just pulling the strings I mean that that, that may be too light of a of a, of a metaphor there they've built the stage for the puppetry um, they own the puppets they pull the strings, they make them talk, and they're doing everything. Um, but I don't even remember what we were talking about. That's what happens when I ramble to myself uh, alone in a cold room, once again, talking to myself, putting this out there into the ether, into the nether for all of none of you to listen to Kanye West the artist formerly known as Mr. Ye I love you and how fun would it be for our country to have a president with a mononym that's that's fun I like that also Ye24 looks really fun you could write it sort of um, in a bit of like a square you know at the top Y-E at the bottom 2-4 that's a fun uh, campaign logo. I don't know what's going to become of this campaign. You know, in 2020, of course, he, I guess, maybe technically campaigned, but it, there was really not much to it. Um, obviously, now it's a bit different. He's um, prior to the announcement of the campaign, he went on a bit of a media tour um, where he seemed to be burning bridges or maybe burning uh, building bridges with the opposite type of people. Maybe he wants to establish that he isn't afraid to say things. Um, <clears throat> and that um, that's respectable, you know. I, I honestly, I don't think that he is a very hateful person. I know that a lot of what he said is, would rub me the wrong way if I were, um, in particular, if I were Jewish, I might be rubbed the wrong way. But I think think that it's not the most charitable assumption that he has some sort of vicious hate for all Jewish people. Um, I think I think what he's mad at are things that not to say that all Jewish people are liberals, obviously, but a 
lot of, I think the ones who are upset about this are in that sort of liberal half. But I think a lot of what he's saying, if you just change the vocabulary and took out the specific references to Judaism, is something that um, a lot of very liberal people would agree with. For example, when he talks about uh, Jewish people supporting each other in, in business and media and whatnot, if you forgot the J word and you called it nepotism, um, you look, it's a bad look if you, if you disagree with the idea that nepotism is bad and leads to a lot of bad things. Um, generally, when we talk about in-group preferences, exclusivity, benefiting others by the virtue of their, uh, by the virtue of tribalism rather than merit, things like this, um, we can agree that those things are bad. There might be some disagreements as to the particulars about, you know, uh, about the why, as in when he talks about Jewish media, um, Jewish whatever else he talks about. I think that I think there's um, a lot of debate to be had and, and arguments to be made about whether because I mean we can say objectively and a lot of people want to deny this but I think it's irrational if you're denying that um, these things are majority Jewish you could even say Jewish controlled honestly but um, there is a question about whether that's by design or you know whether these people or whether they just, you know, they just have the sauce and the interest to do it. Um, it does certainly seem like it would be a lot easier to get a job if you have family and um, a minority religion that wants to put you in the job. But at, uh, that's not the end-all be-all. Who knows what that is? I certainly don't. But... Yeah, he, he's speaking about some legitimate problems, and I think that's going to resonate with, I mean, obviously that's going to resonate with people whose minds are already made up. Um, you know, the anti-Semitic uh, white people are, are going to eat that up uh, very, very graciously, but I think that what, that what he's saying is going to resonate with more black people than, uh, than we care to acknowledge as of present. Uh, specifically when he talks about things like predation in entertainment contracts, uh, predation in the housing market, in business and whatnot, fields that we've been agreeing as a country for uh, quite a while now that do unfairly uh, prey upon or exclude or are in some way unfair to black people. Um, but the assumed narrative is that it's white people running this. And I guess there's another question as to whether or not you want to classify Jewish people as white people. And that seems to be in sometimes, you know, you do, sometimes you don't. But in any case, he is acknowledging that a lot of the people who are having this power that's being wielded against blacks are, um, well, they're, they're not Irish. <laughs> and they're not Italian. Um, a lot of them are wasps. Uh, you know, we, we are generally anti-English. Um, not we as a country, I just mean we as a, um, we in the familiar sense here. But, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not your, your, your Smiths and your, 
and your Flannerties doing it. It's the it's the Steens and the Bergs. And um, I don't know. There's a conversation to be had there. I guess people are afraid to have it. And um, Yay as provocateur is uh, is I guess is is trying to push that conversation. I don't know how long he's going to be saying those kind of things though. Again, he's got Milo working for him. Milo has always been, you know, despite being a, an outspoken Catholic, you know, I think he is half Jewish, maybe. And he's, at the very least, he seems to be a bit of a Zionist. He certainly supports um, Israel. So, I don't know whether Milo might try to curtail some of his, um, some of the things that Kanye has to say about Jews. Uh, time will tell. Um, Nick would w- might might stoke the flames in the opposite direction. We don't know yet. <laughs> but yay, the outsider we love. We want to see that happen. Let's change pace real quick and get into something different. This is one of what I call my little tidbits. Hot takes delivered fast. Arguments or info or opinions or whatever has been grinding my gears compressed into quick little bites. Speaking of bites, today's tidbit happens to be about food. Put shortly, you'll never catch me using a meal kit. If you're like me, which probably means fat, then staring a little too long at food-related TikToks has convinced the Chinese algorithm that you do, in fact, eat from time to time. And so you've probably gotten similar targeted ads. Ads for services like HelloFresh or EveryPlate. And I don't know into what demographic you fall, but they tend to market towards young adults, a group whom they imagine to be perpetually flustered, overwhelmed at the prospect of feeding themselves, impecunious and at a loss for time, seemingly dropped into the world and orphaned into the wilderness, an alien unprepared for his terrestrial mission left utterly to his own devices, needing to satisfy this curious need of his new body by burning organic matter and placing it into his upper stoma. And by all this, I really mean to ask, who the fuck are these things for? I'm sure you're aware of what it is, a subscription service whereby you're sent a box full of all the ingredients for whatever meal, all portioned out just as you'll need them, and instructions for preparing and cooking them. And it honestly doesn't sound so bad if you're a baby or a retarded person. But otherwise, wouldn't you feel just a little silly opening that box, taking out the little baggies of formulated, meated out ingredients for your little dinner? And reading your little instruction sheet and following all the steps to... To do what again? Remind me, why did you get this kit? Did you want to try your hand at adulting? Does this make you feel mature? Seriously? This is hand-holding. It's infantilizing. The services claim to be very cost-efficient. Of course they'd make the claim, but I'll get to that in a minute. First, let me let you in on a little secret. They have recipes online now. And I get it. Sometimes you have to do some scrolling. You get on one of those food blogs that doesn't initially look like a blog. Because the link on Google just reads like a recipe. And it doesn't intimate that you're about to read a fucking memoir, a poorly written account of some gay childhood memory that the person associates with the dish, or some meandering, 
mind-erasingly boring story about this lady's autistic children. It does sometimes seem that having a retarded kid is a prerequisite for food blogging. But I assure you, you can flick past all that and get to the ingredients list without too much physical or emotional labor. It's probably even easier than signing up for HelloFresh using some Twinks discount code. But I get that it's not all about the recipe. The bigger draw is that all the ingredients are there, meted out for you, and you don't even have to go to the grocery store. Even though grocery stores will now literally deliver your groceries to your door. So if there's some transportation issue or maybe agoraphobia at play, you can get all of the ingredients for a meal, plus whatever else you need from the store, right to your door. But it's not so simple. We have to remember the target demographic, the hapless young adults, whom they consider unable to undergo the most basic housekeeping decisions. One of the appeals actually used in the marketing for these things posits that you often find yourself wanting some specific meal for which you must buy niche ingredients. Ingredients sufficiently niche and apparently in such large retail volume that after you make the dish, the obscure ingredients hang around your house and you'll never use them for anything else and they go bad in your house. Also, these services can say that they combat food waste. I don't know what people are buying that only comes in large crates and perishes in a couple days and is so incredibly obscure to the palate that it can't be used for dinner the next day. I need to assert that anything will freeze. You can really put whatever in your freezer. And that's even the last line of defense. Whatever perishables you have, produce or even meat, keep just fine in the refrigerator for about a week. It's really the bare minimum of planning in a person's life to cook with what you have on hand. I don't know what childish impulse animates these people, that they must eat meals with mutually exclusive ingredients every day of the week. If you get a bunch of chicken, say, too much for you to eat, put half of it in your freezer, and if there's still a lot, you can have baked chicken today, fried tomorrow, and jerked the next day. What's the fucking problem? Also, you don't have to do all your shopping at Costco. If you don't need a lot of something, you don't have to buy a lot. Of course, sometimes things do come in frustratingly large packages when you might not want that much. But usually things that come in bulk are packaged that way because they're staples or things that people use a lot of. So it's not terribly hard to plan meals around that. The only sympathy I have for this type of thing is when it comes to spices or condiments. I know that those can accumulate pretty quickly and that you don't want the same for every or even most meals. But my advice on that is maybe you're getting too specific. Like instead of a spice blend that has a very specific spice palette, go for uh, basic spices that you can use in more things. Mix and match and measure to your liking. You don't need a Cajun blend, a taco blend, a Greek spice mix, an Italian one, a Moroccan one, chicken seasoning, shrimp seasoning, and so on and so on, that you only use a little bit of each one every now and again. There's a lot of overlap on the ingredients on those blends. So if you pick up the basic herbs and peppers, you'll use those regularly and efficiently and get the added bonus of being able to fine tune the flavor each time. And likewise, with condiments and sauces, if you like a specific type of thing, go for that and use it often. Otherwise, get regular shit. You don't need a bottle of sriracha mayonnaise on top of having sriracha and mayonnaise. You don't need six types of jelly in the fridge. I can be guilty of that one in particular. 
but just wait to open a new thing before you finish what you've got. Finally, they claim that the service is cost effective. I won't be fucked to run the numbers on that, but I'd like to see theirs. Because I seriously doubt that they have things better figured out and more efficient than Walmart or Kroger. Now, maybe if you're buying at Whole Foods because you're a dumb, rich, white, overprivileged cunt, then I reckon it could be cheaper. But I don't think they're being realistic or fair with their figures. And of course, they have to profit just like a grocery store does and pay to send it to you. So don't think you're getting some hot fucking deal. And remember, when you just buy shit, rather than getting a little Ikea portioned out prefab kit, you tend to have extra food beyond one meal. So you get leftovers or whatever. And I doubt they calculate that in. And if you're one of those people who say, I don't eat leftovers, then fuck you. You soft faggot bitch. You desperately need some adversity in your life. You're going to die in the coming winter. If we were in any semblance of nature, any type of world where we could compete and act as we are biologically designed to, I would kill you. I would eat your face right from your dipshit head. You couldn't fight me off, you wouldn't stand a chance. You refused to eat the animal the day after we hunted it. You turned your nose up to yesterday's berries. You're weak now. Your neuroticism is not up to snuff for natural selection. I will eat your weak, gay body. I'll have some today and some more tomorrow. And I will grow strong and stronger, absorbing the nutrients from your soft, genteel flesh. The takeaway from all this is that you shouldn't waste your money on dumb, gimmicky shit. Let's get back to the show. Is it the will of God that ye win? in 2024. Now, I'm not a religious person, but I am not so starkly stood to my atheist convictions as I was in the past. Things were simpler back then when the world felt real and when the matter around us still felt like matter. Maybe it does for most of you, but there's something in me that leaves me with a sort of an immaterial view of the world. In materialism, not in the sense of consumerism or anything like that, but just materialism in that believing that our conscious is the product of electrical impulses and chemical reactions and that there's nothing more to life than that used to be something I, I stood firmly behind, and I still am, still am of that belief, but it's just harder nowadays, and I don't know why. Maybe I'm just broken, and I'm degrading, and I'm losing every sense of what I used to call myself, but I don't know. I, th- I think all the Jesus stuff is starting to sound more convincing to me, honestly, and this is coming from... Um, uh, well, I guess like maybe like a lot of people, I was atheist until people started posting the uh, the pictures of the fat guy with acne and the fedora, <laughs> the Reddit atheism, and maybe that's what really did turn me against it. I just didn't want to be associated with that. Maybe that's all it takes. Uh, they they really should have brought that out in the heyday of of Dawkins and, and Hitchens and whatnot. I was very much on that train, 
and I think I still am, really. I don't, I mean, I feel like anytime I, I try to engage with anything that's religious or spiritual, I just, I feel like I'm kidding myself, you know? Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe just the, the schizo idea that uh, my soul is being, is under attack. Maybe that's what's appealing, and it's not the atheism that's unappealing anymore. Uh, only insofar as it, it it prevents me from being able to say that, you know, the the lizard people are um, <laughs> are trying to torture my soul. I don't know. Um, and even though personally I'm not a very religious person, I, I I fuck with religious people, you know. I do think they have a certain something figured out in terms of understanding that people need goals and people need a drive for their will and if you can abstract one even if it, you know even if it is just an abstraction and it's not substantial if you can pull something substantial out of it and something that's positive which i feel like generally christianity tends to do um you know maybe we could work on this stuff about god hates fags but honestly it's a minority of people that that are on that train. Um, I see TikToks, and it's uh, these pastors, you know, with rainbow. Oh, I, I don't know what you call it. Sashes, the little stoles or whatever they wear. But it's you know the uh, the pro LGBTQIA plus pastors, and uh, and I don't know why because again I have no stake in in a religion, really, in, in Christianity or anything like that, but it makes me mad. Um, not so much, maybe, maybe, well, maybe it is, maybe it is regressive, maybe it is reactionary, but something about it just rubs me the wrong way that these people are, I guess, trying to have it all. I don't know why I'm mad at that, because shouldn't you want to try to have it all? Even if it does mean giving up some of you know, whatever your past self or your past identity was, shouldn't you try to grow and evolve, stay relevant, stay strong? That's, um, I feel like if I, if I was religious, you know, if I did believe in a God and I had a personal relationship with one, it wouldn't bother me. You know, all of this, the notion that uh, Christianity is straying away from its roots with all of the gay acceptance or whatever. That doesn't come from the mind of someone who holds God dearly. That comes from the mind of someone who's using historical, historiographic, literary thinking like I am. Who, for whatever reason, is attracted to this sort of regressive thought pattern, and not one I subscribe to myself, but I guess I just want, so, somehow it's comforting to know that exists, and I think it's comforting because at an earlier age, when I was, you know, quite young, I, I decided that I was, I decided that I was progressive, and that I, growing up in the, uh, the Bible Belt region, and, uh, you know, and really in the heart of that particularly 
um, regressive sort of, of uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Not baptism, but the, the, the Baptist religion, Baptists. Those are the people I grew up around. And I decided that rejecting religion and embracing um, certain progressive things, that that made me more intelligent than them. And um, I see it as a whole now. I grew up in a very small pond. And uh, now, you know, I'm aware of the world. Uh, the evil, evil mistake of telecommunication and the internet and media has exposed me to the world and just the idea that most people aren't as, as backwards as the uh, the southerners I grew up around. Um, and those people are with the sort of progressive thing, with all the trans stuff, with all the LGBTQ stuff, those people are doing what I did as a child. Um, and it's deciding that the that things as they are are uh, barbaric and antiquated and that you are above it by moving past it. And it worked for me as a kid. And I don't mean to infantilize that position. I think it's fine enough to do. I'm just saying for my particular circumstance at the time, it worked fine because, um, you know, in my small southern town, people were very regressive and we're very backwards um, but when you have every corporation agreeing with you now about whatever about the atheism stuff the any of the the queer stuff any of that maybe that's why I'm uh, a little less progressive minded now because I'm not progressive, um, I'm just a contrarian. Um, and nothing more than that. I just want to be different than whoever is currently speaking the loudest. And now that the people who are speaking very loud are where I was when I was younger, um, I'm different. And maybe that is, that's what's pushing me away from sort of progressive and, and atheist worldview that I had held. I don't know. It's a weird choice. I really wish that I was a, um, I was a religious person. I wish that I was raised in a church. I was raised around, you know, religious people, but me personally, I wasn't raised in a church. My parents were uh, heathens. They were not uh, atheists in the enlightened uh, Richard Dawkins sense, but atheists in the, uh, not even atheists, just irreligious, you know, unchurched uh, scumbags. And uh, maybe it's just because I never got that hit of it as a child, but, and that's why it's so hard for me to do the religious thing now, but, you know, I've been to churches um, as an adult. Um, I've, for a while there, I was regularly going, and I quite liked it. And I liked seeing the joy on people's faces, but, you know, I did feel a little fraudulent. Um, going through the motions and hearing people make testimony about what was in their hearts. And uh, just constantly reminding myself 
you know, internally that that's not what was in mind. And, um, there, I had other problems with it besides that, because I think I really, in a vacuum, I don't mind um, playing a little pretend to reap these emotional benefits and these um, social benefits and all that. But um, the other thing that bothered me was the the patriarchal shit at at, uh, at the church. And maybe this was the particular church I went to. It was a Baptist church, but um, and again, maybe I just I'm not desensitized to it because I wasn't there as a kid. But I went there as an adult, and they were really harping on the whole, you know, honor thy mother and father, and you should, all this kind of thing. And I in it, I can't help but feel like it was this sort of. Um, way of making people submit, and that's not always a bad thing, I know it sounds bad, but you know, sometimes you do need to get over, you know, maybe your sort of teenage ego and fall into line, but for me and for so many people that I grew up around personally, there was a lot of um, abuse in the home and a lot of really uncool shit going on in the home, and I, I worry that that, um, that, you know, be uh, respectful and submissive despite whatever to your family. I worry that that, that attitude can trap people in, in abusive and uh, really uncool situations. So I, I don't quite like that. Um, but it's so attractive, isn't it, when people talk about the sort of um, Catholic family attitude and um, the idea of like a nice church-going family, and I, I desperately want that, but that's not—that's just not the world I come from. And it wasn't church that's the catalyst, though. It's just because my family was uh, really bad people. But there are other bad people, and um, maybe they use church uh, and that sort of attitude the traditional family attitude as a way to keep people in a, in a place where they can be abused. But then again, it uplifts people. I don't know, there's no easy solution. There's a train outside. It's very loud. Don't you wish you could know where trains are going when you hear them? <laughs> 